Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. Good to be in God's house with God's people. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online as well. My name is Rick Thompson. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Water Community Church. A young woman teacher was obvious, was with obvious liberal tendencies, explains to her class of small children that she is an atheist. She asked her class if they are atheists, if they are atheists too, not really knowing what atheism is, but wanting to be like their teacher, their hands explode into the air like fleshly rock fireworks. There is, however, one exception. A little girl has not gone along with the crowd. The teacher asks her why she has decided to be different. She responds, because I'm not an atheist. Then, then ask the teacher, well, what are you? I'm a Christian. The teacher is a little perturbed now, her face slightly red. She asks her why she is a Christian. Well, I was brought up knowing and loving Jesus. My mom is a Christian. My dad is a Christian. My grandparents are too, so I'm a Christian. The teacher's now angry. That's no reason, she says loudly. What if your mom and your dad were idiots? What if your grandparents were idiots? What would you be then? She paused and smiled and said, oh, I guess then I would be an atheist. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we're in a series that we are ending today where, that we've been calling Godly Girls and Wild Women. Godly Girls and Wild Women. So far, we've highlighted Righteous Hannah, who we found out had an annoying sister, wife, by the name of Penina. Uh, we've, t- we've talked about Eve, who is the mother of us all, but she made some bad decisions in the moment. And we've talked about beautiful Abigail, who, who was beautiful inside and out, whose husband's name was, who remembers? Nabal, and Nabal means what? Nabal, someone was paying attention last week. Nabal literally means fool, and he certainly lived up to his name. Now, just as a side note, uh, I, I don't know if I emphasized it enough last week, but you could be a man or a woman and be a Nabal. It, that's not exclusive just to men. Come on, somebody. Um, or you can be a man and a, or a woman and have a godly character like Abigail. Amen? Okay, and that's not just true about them, but it's also true about the subject of our story today. Her, her name is Jezebel. And of the, wild, uh, of the wild women that we focused on, she's probably the worst of the worst. She was beautiful, reportedly, on the outside, but her beauty was only skin deep. Yeah, anybody know anyone like that? Come on, somebody, don't point fingers or anything like that. Only skin deep because she was decidedly wicked and wild woman through and through. A truly evil woman, as we're going to see. But like Nabal, you don't have to be a woman to have a spirit of Jezebel operating in your life. You could be a man and have a spirit of Jezebel operating in your life, as we're going to see in this message today. Jezebel, although she had prominent positions of power and authority, we're going to see that she used her positions not for good, but for manipulation and evil. In fact, her name has become synonymous with everything twisted. 
everything atheistic and anti-good and anti-God in the world today. And not at all passive about it. She was an aggressive woman and even sought to spread her twisted ideology with evangelistic fervor, so much so that through the centuries, her name has become so infamous that it's associated with one of the highest demonic spirits there is, a Jezebel spirit. Again, one that is still operating in the world today. What was her MO? She's come to represent corruptive power, seductive manipulation, and control at whatever cost it would take. And again, both women and men can be seduced by a Jezebel spirit or operate in a Jezebel spirit. Because it's a usurper and it undermines divine authority and it basically does whatever is necessary to remain in control. And so to give you some history about when she came on the scene, the time was about 922 B.C. The nation of Israel was torn into two nations, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. One had ten tribes and the other had two. Israel was racked by internal tribal differences and subsequently became susceptible to frequent invasions, which created the perfect environment for Jezebel to come on the scene and to enter in as a seducer. She comes on the scene through an arranged marriage designed to bring a level of peace and stability to Israel and their Phoenician neighbors, and thus the unholy union of Jezebel and her husband Ahab the king. Now, history tells us, and scripture reveals that Ahab, we're going to see, was considered the worst king in the history of of their kings because he was weak, he was easily manipulated, and he was evil. And with Jezebel came idolatry of the worst kind, Baal worship. Baal worship was the root word for Beelzebub, which is another name for who? Beelzebub. Come on, somebody. Someone say Satan the devil, and in his worship, it included child sacrifice and the worship of Asherah. Asherah was supposedly a goddess, the goddess of fertility and also the goddess over the crops and the harvest. Her worship was deeply sensual, involving illicit sex, perversions, and ritual prostitution, which, which reportedly included the use of temple prostitutes both female and male. In in fact, one Greek shrine reported to have a thousand prostitutes on hand. Imagine that, going to church and there's a thousand prostitutes on hand. I guess that's one way to grow your church. Not recommended, though, if you want the blessings of the Lord on your life. Amen? These were all Jezebel's people, which also included the use of witchcraft and, 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 and the like. And like I said, she didn't just practice all this stuff. She encouraged it by leading her weak, easily manipulated husband, the king, into all these detestable practices. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 22 years, but Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight even more than any of the kings before him. And as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbaal, 
of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down and worship a Baal. First, Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. And so we see that the marriage was mostly political, and Ahab's heart was already pretty corrupt. And, and so the two of them would have been a match made in hell. And so it made the northern kingdom of Israel, which had already departed from the Torah, the Torah is, was the word of God, even more pagan and susceptible to demonic influences. And, and I thought about that. That's what's happening. That, that, that's what happens the moment you remove the standard of God's word and the, and the standard of God's prayer. They did that in our schools in the 70s, and in just a few years, we replaced prayer with metal detectors and drag queen story hours and the idiocy of choosing your own gender uh, taught to children and pronouns. Bell worship required child sacrifice. Well, now we have abortion clinics in almost every town in this country and they call it health care. And the unethical so-called doctors, I call them butchers, that for a price are willing to mutilate confused children in the name of gender-affirming surgeries. How did it all start? It starts when, as a society as a whole, we depart from the standard of God's word, and then something else fills the void. Well, that's what happened during Jezebel's time. And it didn't sit well with God. But it got worse. First Kings chapter 18, verse 4. Once when Jezebel had tried to kill all the, all the Lord's prophets. Let me say that again. She tried to kill all the Lord's prophets. Obadiah had hidden a hundred of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in, one, in each cave and supplied them with food and water. What's happening here? Not only is she introducing pagan practices and deviant behavior, including child sacrifice, they're also trying to eliminate the true men and women of God. She's trying to kill God's prophets. Folks, there's nothing new under the sun. Come on, somebody. Have you noticed how with the advent of all this new secular garbage that's being uh, pushed down our throats that, that in our society, that there's really only one religion that they're attacking what religion do you think that is? They've got nothing to say to the Muslims or the Sikhs or the Buddhists or the New Ages or the psychics or even the Satanists. If you, if you turn on the TV and watch a movie today, Hollywood has only one name that they're constantly taking in vain. It's either GD or JC. You never hear Muhammad's name taken in vain or Krishna's name. You only hear uh, the ones attacking God's people. Curious. Why do you think that is? I think the reason is the devils are not worried about false religions or prophets. He's not worried about Joseph Smith or Brigham Young or the like. He already has them. He's always going to target the real deal. And so wicked Jezebel sets out, sets out to kill the prophets and the people of God. 
I was doing so when Albadiah, a God-fearing man who was in the servant of, of King Ahab, against his master's will, decided he wasn't going to let that happen. And he hides a hundred of them in caves, and he feeds them, and he gives them food and water. And the Bible says because of their wickedness, or because of the establishment's wickedness, that God, through the prophet Elijah, he would declare a drought on the land that would last some three years. Three years with no rain at all, which Ahab attributed to Elijah and his presence. 1 Kings 18, verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Mind you, this is the king meeting the prophet after three years of a drought. Verse 18. I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Azurah who eat at Jezebel's table. So where are we at? Ahab, Ahab caused Elijah a trouble of Israel because in an agricultural society, which that was, no rain for three years was devastating. It was devastating on the crops. It was devastating on the livestock. And certainly it would be devastating on the people. And so he wanted to blame Elijah for their woes, but Elijah turned around and said, no, sir, you brought this on yourself and you brought this on our people. Someone turned to someone and said, leadership matters. Unfortunately, for far too many people, rather than looking at the true problem, the man in the mirror is just so much easier to blame our troubles on other people. I notice that in the text that it says that the prophets of Baal and Asherah ate at Jezebel's table. You need to know that's not literal because that would be an awfully big table to fit 950 people. Come on, somebody. Maybe the king could work it out. But what it's saying is it's, saying, it's basically saying that Jezebel supported the prophets of Baal and Asherah and the evil that they did from the royal treasury. That's what he means when he says they ate. They were getting paid by Jezebel and, 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 and her husband. So in other words, this was taxpayer-funded debauchery which, and witchcraft, and worst of all, child sacrifice. Sounds a little bit like what's happening today. Except in our country, we don't even wait for the child to leave the womb. And so Elijah challenged them to, sh to a showdown right there on Mount Carmel. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and he said, listen, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And what was the response? 
but the people said nothing. Now, mind you, the prophet calls, tells them to call the people together. Now there's thousands and probably millions. And he stands up and he challenges them. He says, how long are you guys going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if the Baal is God, then follow him. But the people had nothing to say. Why was that? Because they were so confused, in my opinion, and under the spell of the Jezebel spirit of manipulation that they didn't know what was right anymore. And so they did the the PC thing, the politically correct thing, and they just shut their mouths. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. From a nation based on the clarity of God's word, Moses and the mighty deliverance through the Red Sea and the Ten Commandments to complete silence in the face of what should be an obvious answer. What's right and wrong? Is it God or is it the Baal? Again, that sounds a little bit like what's going on today. We know what the Word of God says about certain things. We know what it says about adultery and fornication and the practice of homosexuality. We know what the Bible says about the shedding of innocent blood, and you can't get more innocent than a baby in a womb. But we don't want to offend anybody, and we want to remain politically correct. And so most of the church or the people who call themselves the church or Christ followers remain silent. Nothing to say. The Bible even speaks to the darling sin of today. What's the darling sin of today? Transgenderism. Yeah, the Bible talks about that as well. And cross-dressing. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. Matter of fact, read it out loud with me. One, two, three, go. A woman must not put on men's clothing, and a man must not wear women's clothing. Anyone who does this is detestable in the sight of the Lord your God. Does that sound ambiguous? It seems real clear to me. We don't only tolerate it in our society, we celebrate it. Flags everywhere. The Bible says it's detestable in the sight of the Lord. When you get a chance, go ahead and look that word up. Watching the news, they were having hearings on this very issue because there's controversy with men, confused men, don't want to compete against men anymore. They want to jump into the women's divisions. (laughs) They're losing with men, but they're beating women and declaring themselves now women. And the idiots are going along with it. They were having hearings on this issue, and one senator or congressman said to one of the uh, proponents of this, he says, have you ever heard of the guy named Mike Tyson? Anybody ever heard of him? Come on, somebody. Anyone not heard of Mike Tyson? He said, the guy says, yes. So he says, what you're telling me, so if Mike Tyson decided to identify as a woman and go compete against women in boxing, should that be allowed? And the clown answering said, well, I, 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 I think so. I think yes. Folks, these people are fools. They're fools. 
and too many parents silent about obvious right and wrong issues because you don't want to offend your children. So you let them do whatever with whomever, and then you have the consequences of dealing with that because you want to be their friends rather than their parents or stand up for a biblical worldview. Or worse, they get to see us quote scriptures and attend church on Sundays and the rest of the week see us doing whatever we want with whomever we wish, even if we know it's wrong. You know what that's called? Hypocrisy. It shows a lack of integrity. And so here we have Elijah, and he's addressing the people with what should be an obvious answer, and they've got nothing to say. And we all know what happened to the 450 prophets of Baal. You can read it when you get a chance in 1 Kings chapter 18. Just to give you a brief summary, it says that Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who's left, but Baal has 450. Now bring two bulls, the prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish, cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. He says, I will, prepare, I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar and not set fire to it. He says, then call on the name of your God, little g, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people who are assembled agreed to this. Then Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, you go first. And there are many of you, so choose one of the bulls, prepare it and call on the name of your God, and do not set fire to the wood. And so they prepared the one of the bulls, they placed it on the altar, and then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us! But there was no reply of any kind. They danced, hobbling around the altar that they made. About noontime, Elijah began, the Bible says, to mock them, You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he's a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming, or he's relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip, or is asleep, and he needs to be awakened. And so they shouted louder, and following their normal custom, watch this, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. Be careful of that self-mutilating spirit. They raved, that's what the Bible calls it, they raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people, now come over here. And they called the crowd around him, and he prepared the altar of the Lord with, with, that, that had been torn down. And he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. And then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. And he piled wood on the altar, and he cut the bull into pieces, and he laid the pieces on the wood. And then he said, fill four large jars with water, and pour the water over the offering and the wood. And after they had done this, he said, now do the same thing again. And when they finished, he said, now do it a third time. Now this thing is totally drenched in water. And so they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trenches. And verse 36 kind of summarizes in chapter 18. And at the usual time for offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed. Listen, listen. O Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, 
Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I've done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Verse 38, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the the young bull. Listen, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and they cried out. Now they got a voice. The Lord is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Come on, somebody. To God be the glory. First Kings 18.40. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley, and he killed them there. Now, this was truly a bad day for the false prophets of Baal and Asher, for sure. And then shortly after that, in chapter 18, verse 41, Elijah prays for the rain to return, and it does. After three years of drought, God returns the rain. Now, you would think that after all that, the nonsense all day praying, the cutting, it was a bloodbath from the bells. Nothing happened with them because he's a false god. All, all their prophets getting slaughtered as a result. After three years of a drought ending after Elijah's prayer, you would think that after all that, that Jezebel might have had a change of heart. Maybe repented. Maybe turned from a wild girl to a godly one. But no. She stuck on stupid. First Kings chapter 19, verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. And so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Wow, what a dumb woman. I mean... You heard about the fire coming down? Did you, did, did you get that part? <laughs> People have told me that. Pastor Rick, I can't come to your church. Why? Because lightning might strike. I said, you think if you come into this church, God is going to ruin my roof to get to you? He knows where you live. <laughs> what a dumb woman. In fact, she doubles down on dumb in her wickedness, even threatening Elijah. Why would she do that? Listen to me, because the, because the spirit, that spirit is prideful and arrogant and can't admit defeat or when it's wrong. That's what pride does. And she had plenty more stupid to go along with her. Listen to what she does next, verse 20, chapter 21. It says, now there was a man named Naboth, Naboth from Jezreel, who owned a vineyard in Jezreel beside, beside the palace of the king Ahab of Samaria. One day Ahab said to Naboth, since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I would like to buy it to use as a vegetable garden. I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I will pay you for it. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors, So Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. The king went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. Verse 5, what's the matter? His wife Jezebel asked him. What's made you so upset and that that you're not eating? 
I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard and trade it, but he refused. Ahab told her, are you the king of Israel or not? Jezebel demanded, get up and eat something and don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent them to the elders and the other leaders of the town where Naboth lived. In her letters, she commanded, call the citizens together for a time of fasting. Give Naboth a place of honor, and then seat, then seat two scoundrels across from him who will accuse him of cursing God and the king. How many know that there are liars out there today? They will accuse people of anything to get their way. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the other town leaders followed the instructions Jezebel had written in the letters. They called for a fast and put Naboth at a prominent place before the people. Then the two scoundrels came and sat down across from him, and they accused Naboth before all the people, saying, He cursed God and the king. And so he was dragged outside the town and stoned to death. They even used the law, because the, the law says if, if you can find two people to agree on something, you, an accusation, then it was taken as truth. Then the two scoundrels came, sat down, accused, he cursed God. So he was dragged outside the town and stoned to death. Verse 14, the, two, the town leaders then sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard the news, she said to Ahab, you know the vineyard Naboth wouldn't sell you? Well, you can have it now. He's dead. So Ahab immediately went down to the vineyard of Naboth to claim it. What a wicked woman. And so God after all this, finally had enough of them both. And he sends the prophet Elijah to let them know the gig was up. First 20, chapter 21, verse 17. But the Lord said to Elijah, go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He will be at Naboth's vineyard in Jezreel, claiming it for himself. Give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Wasn't it enough that you killed Naboth? Must you rob him too? Because you have done this, dogs will lick your blood at the very place where they lick the blood of Naboth. And so my enemy, so, so my enemy, you have found me, Ahab exclaimed to Elijah. Yes, Elijah answered, I have come because you have sold yourself to what is evil in the Lord's sight. So now the Lord says, I will bring disaster on you and consume you. I will destroy every one of your male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I'm going to destroy your family as I did the family of Jeroboam, son of Nebeth, Nebet, and the family of Basha, son of Ahijah, for you have made me very angry and have led, and have led Israel into sin. And regarding Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will eat Jezebel's body at the plot of land in Jezreel. And so guess what happened? Let me tell you what happened. Exactly what the word of the Lord said would happen. In the very next chapter, verse 22, uh, I mean chapter 22, verse 34, but someone drew his bow, bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the section of his armor. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long, the battle raised, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arme Arameans. 
The blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot that evening, and he died. And this was, matter of fact, when you get a chance, go back and read the whole thing, <laughs> because he was deciding whether to go into war or not, and then someone said, well, well consult, consult the prophets. And all the prophets at the time was telling them, yes, you're going to have a great victory, great victory. And he says, well, do you have any more prophets? There was one other prophet. He says, but I don't like to consult him because he, he never tells me what I want to hear. He always has bad news for me. And this one came in, and he told him everything. He, says, he said what everyone else was saying, and he says, I told you always tell me the truth. He says, you ain't, you're going to die today. <laughs> and, he said, and the guy said, see, I told you. I told you he never has anything good to say about me. But he said, no, the, the Lord has basically sent you up. He, he's allowed these prophets to tell you to go, but you're going to die today. He didn't, he didn't like that word. So, so he decided, you know, we're going to go with the 400. Be careful about going with the crowd. Come on, somebody. Be careful about that. We're going to go with the 400. He said, but I, I'm going to double down. I, I, he went with another king. You dress in your royal thing, and I will dress as a commoner so that no one will notice I'm, I'm in this battle. And as he goes into the battle, the, the strategy of the other team was, listen, don't worry about anyone else. Look for whoever the kings are. They're going to be in the royal thing. Well, the, they started chasing the wrong guy until they realized it wasn't the, it was the wrong guy, but the this king was in disguise. But the word of the Lord said, today you're going to die, and the dogs are going to lick you up. A stray arrow whoop, flies in the air. He had full armor. It hits him between the armor. Come on, somebody. And he dies. Listen, what God says is going to happen is going to happen. Ahab went into battle disguised caught a straight arrow between his armor, bled to death, and the dogs licked his blood at the exact same place he set up Naboth. And wicked Jezebel was later thrown from her ivory tower at the command of Jehu, the insurrectionist, and left for dead. And when they came back to bury her, you can read it when you get a chance, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 35, they could only find her skull her feet, and her hands. The dogs ate the rest of her. A fitting end for one of the world's most notoriously evil and wild women. But this morning I want to end it this way by asking this question. How do you know if you're under the influence or being influenced by Jezebel's spirit? And I've come up with seven signs, and we're going to conclude this message by going over these seven signs real quickly. Number one, there would be a lack of compassion, a lack of compassion. Someone controlled by Jezebel's spirit wants what they want when they want it, and quite frankly, to hell with everyone else or their feelings. Oftentimes, they feign compassion, but that's just another manipulation technique. They don't feel for you because it's, it's really all about them. As we go through this, don't point, don't point to anybody, okay, as we go through these seven things. There will also be a sense of entitlement that demands automatic compliance with their expectations. In other words, it's my way or the highway, and if you don't comply like Jezebel, 
They're going to seek to make your life miserable. It's the people who have you walking on eggshells, eggshells that they spread out, and they dare you to step on one. It's the people that if you don't do what they want, they give you the silent treatment that goes on for days and sometimes weeks until, until they get their way. That's a Jezebel spirit. There'll also be a promotion of false teachings. In other words, they will twist the scripture to mean what they want it to mean and purposely take things out of context. And if you, and if you don't know what the word of God says, listen to me. If you don't know what the word of God says, if you don't spend any time in God's word, you will fall for whatever they're saying. You will fall for it. And that's why the apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, he says, I am shocked. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way. One translation says you are following a different gospel that pretends to be the good news. The word gospel means good news. But it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately do what? Twist the truth concerning Christ. Do we have people today who twist the truth? We absolutely do. And if you do not take the time to know what the Bible says then you're going to fall for it almost every time. The Bible cannot be an ornament in your house or something that only you open on Sunday mornings. you got to spend some time in God's word. He goes on to say, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one who we preach to you. I say again that we have said what we've said before. If anyone preaches any other good news or gospel than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Was Paul serious about the message that he got from Jesus and it not get perverted? He was, he was dead serious. And he, tell, he said twice, if they do it, let them be cursed. And he says, if, even if I come back or an angel, someone claiming to be an angel, and there's a lot of religions out there that claim to have gotten prophetic Words and there, and there are people out there who say, well, all roads lead to the same way. No, they don't because they contradict one another. They contradict, they absolutely contradict one another and they all can't be true. Learn to know what the word of God says. If there's a Jezebel spirit, listen to me, there will also be a rejection of God's truths. This may not be overt, but it could be subtle. They can quote scripture. They just don't adhere to it or submit to it. Or again, they twist it to mean what they want it to, to justify their own foolish behavior. Apostle Paul addressed this as well. Romans chapter 1 verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like as a result their minds became dark and confused. Listen to me. When you reject the Torah or the word of the Lord, your mind starts to make up what God is like. And the Bible says in that moment, your mind becomes dark. Watch this. And confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead become utter fools. There are people with PhDs and doctorates who declare there is no God. Listen to me. They're educated idiots. 
And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And so verse 24, they, so God, which is what happened, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And then it tells you what the shameful things they did. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Is that, is that not clear? This is the New Testament. Pastor Rick, that's the Old Testament. No! That doesn't sound very loving. Tell it to Paul. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says if you change it, you're coming under a curse. And when it says they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserve, what do you think that is? It's a prideful, prideful, unrepentant heart. And I believe a demonic stronghold and possibly a spirit of Jezebel. And so with that said, the Jezebel spirit will also do number five. It's often associated with sexual immorality. Revelations 2.20. But I have this complaint against you. You have permitted that woman, that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. New Testament, book of Revelation, what's happening here? There was someone in the New Testament church in which the Holy Spirit identified as operating in the same spirit of Jezebel. And because she called herself a prophet, she was tolerated within that church or prophetess. But the Bible says, you shall know them by their fruit. And she was leading God's people into sexual immorality and deviant behavior. Not as you and I define it, because everything is acceptable in the world and our culture today. Sexual deviant behavior as the word of God defines it. There's a big difference. She was sleeping around with whomever she wants. She didn't see a problem with it. In fact, she was teaching them this is okay, and God was happy with it as well. Just be whoever you are. This is how God made you. And other nonsense. And if you're inclined to reject the truth, you will fall for lies every time. Number six, some people are operating with the spirit 
may use sex or things to manipulate you, sex or things to manipulate you into getting their way. And obviously we see this happening in our world today, especially with social media and selfies. You go to somebody's Instagram or whatever, they got 500 shots of stupid pictures of themselves. But this could happen, this manipulation could happen in marriages as well. Paul points it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. He says, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his what? His own wife. And each woman should have her own what? And the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. And the wife gives authority over her body to her husband. And the husband gives authority over his body to who? Verse 5. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together so that what? Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What is he talking about? He says when the spirit affects a marriage and you start using sexual intimacy as a manipulation tool to get your way, you are opening the door possibly for Satan to come in and cause problems. And so he says the wife gives control of her body to the husband and the husband to the wife, and it's only through mutual consent and then afterwards, for prayer, not I want a new, you know, dress or bowling ball. Come on, somebody. I'm meddling now, aren't I? I want my way, whatever. It's for prayer to God, Jesus. And then come together quickly. He said, because if you don't, you're setting up the other person for a possible doorway for the devil to come in. Lastly, that spirit is a spirit of what we call a control freak. Now think about it. Most church conflicts are about control. Many marital and family conflicts are about control. Money conflicts are almost most certainly about power and control, which can get ugly. And that's why the best thing you and I can do to address and combat the spirit is to surrender our life to Jesus Christ daily. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, Jesus speaking, you must give up your own way, take up your cross. What's the word he says? On Sundays, come on, somebody. On Sundays and Wednesday, come on, some. Help me out, somebody. When I feel like it, please help me. What does it say? Daily. Does daily mean daily? It means daily to take up your cross daily, and he says, and follow me. And the good news is, Jesus said concerning him helping us, he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And he says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and a gentle heart. 
and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you is light. And so the way to combat the Spirit is to surrender to the Lord. And what does it mean to surrender? It means to give Him the reins of power and control in your life. And to let His Word make your choices and not your selfish ambitions. And to consult Him through prayer and godly counsel when the Word doesn't speak to your choices. It means that you're going to let Jesus and his Holy Spirit rule and reign your life and his word. And you're going to submit your life to him. Does that make sense? And so as we come to a close this morning, God is calling us all to be Christ followers. Not culture, not the latest whatever is going on. He wants us to elevate him because, because this nation used to be considered a Christian nation. I, I don't think it is anymore. I think this nation has passed from a Christian nation to a pagan nation. And with the pagan nation, you're going to get all the pagan uh, entrapments that go with it. And the confusion. And the, and the word of the Lord to you is going to be the same as it was to the people of Israel back when Elijah. He says, I choose you this day whom you will serve. How long will you waver between two opinions? If God is Lord, if Christ is Lord, follow him. And if Baal is Lord, follow him. But what he's asking you to do is to not be silent. To stand up. Because in the absence of us saying something, how many know the enemy is not quiet? And he's filling the airways with foolishness and he's targeting your children and my, my, and my grandkids. And listen to me, as far as I'm concerned, I am not going quietly into the night. And I'm not concerned who it offends. Because at the end of the day, I'm trying to please him. Amen? It's called an audience of one. And God has called us all to one day hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not going to happen while you're sitting on your hands or you're capitulating with the culture and you can't even figure out right from wrong when it's in black and white. And when Jesus is speaking, it's in red. Very clear. But it all starts when I said, Lord, I surrender. And know this Jesus died for everybody. Everybody. He died for those who don't even love him today. He says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died. I'm so glad that he didn't wait for me to get my act together before he gave his life for me. Amen. And when he, he died for me when I was running the streets and I was doing a lot of what this what the Bible condemns out of ignorance he showed his love for me for God so loved me that he gave his one and only son that if I believe in him I will not perish but I'll have everlasting life and that offer goes out to everyone who would recognize that they need a savior that apart from the grace
grace of God, we're all lost. But the offer is, is, is the greatest that you'll ever get. He says, come into my kingdom. Come into my family. I'm not condemning you. But he says, don't call good evil and don't call evil good. Let God and his word be the standard in your life. He says, the moment you acknowledge that you're a sinner, you need a savior. In that moment, he comes into our lives and he helps us to navigate what's going on in our lives. As we come to an end, listen, if you've not yet done that, It'd be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a simple prayer of commitment to him. So everyone bow our heads and close our eyes and say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus was sent by you to take the penalty for my sins died on the cross three days later rose again from this day forward I put my trust completely in him and Lord the promise that you gave that if I put my trust in him that because he lives I will live as well I thank you Lord for coming into my life from this day forward I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.